TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Good morning. Welcome to Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer and Brenda Alacy. Brenda is recovering from surgery. We hope to have her back here very soon. This week... County Executive Mark Polenkars made the announcement that to go to Buffalo Bills games in the fall, Buffalo Sabre games in the fall, you will be required to have a vaccination. Uh, That was pretty much the, I would say, number one story locally this week, that proposal. Uh, The next day, or actually the very same day, Governor Andrew Cuomo said it's too early to say there's going to be full capacity, let alone how they're going to get there. Mark Polenkars appeared with Susan Rose and Brian Mazarowski this week. Now, usually I don't like to play tape to kick off the show, but it is one of the top stories of the week, and we will be asking our next two guests about this proposal. So we are going to start the show with a replay of the interview from earlier this week. After this replay, we will be joined by State Senator George Borello and then Congressman Lee Zeldin, who will be challenging Governor Andrew Cuomo next year for New York governor. So here is County Executive Mark Polonkars from earlier this week with Susan Rose and Brian Mazarowski. And we're joined by Erie County Executive Mark Polonkars to talk a little bit about that plan to bring fans back in the stadium at full capacity this upcoming fall. You know, Mark, you made this announcement on Tuesday about requiring vaccination to attend a Bills game. And then yesterday we heard from the governor who said he doesn't believe that the county has the authority to make that rule and uh, kind of suggested that you were uh, talking more aspirationally instead of, um, you know, as a matter of fact. Um, What do you make of what the governor had to say about your plan yesterday? Well, good morning, Brian and Susan. I hope you're having a good day. I mean, of course, it's aspirational, but we believe we have the power to do it. Uh, The county sets the rules for the stadiums. That's why you can't smoke in the stadium. That's why you can't walk in with a alcoholic beverage. We believe we have the power. And I would remind everybody that uh, last year the governor was given extraordinary powers by the Assembly and Senate, and that power was removed. And so the governor still has certain powers, but we don't believe the governor can control every facet of what we do at our facility. So we're going to work with the state, just like we've already had uh, discussions with the bills, and we believe the bills are 100 percent on board with this plan. If we do not have a plan to vaccinate, to get people in the stadium, we're going to be at a much lower capacity and they're going to have to do PCR testing. So uh, we believe we have the power to do this, just 
similar in some ways, no different than what the governor had the power last year to uh, mandate that the capacity would only be at approximately 10% and everyone had to take a test. Uh, We're not mandating everybody in the community to be vaccinated. We're just saying if you're going to enter this public space, which uh, we'll have, as we all know, when you're in the football stadium and walking through the the, uh, concourses and so forth, everyone is packed tightly together. There's really no way to get a full house in there unless everyone's vaccinated. We're going to continue to talk with everyone. We have months to do this. I know the governor mentioned it's too early. Well, this is the time in which we have to be talking about this and beginning a plan because July and August will be too late. The first preseason games will be in in August, and and we need to be working on this now. Have you had much contact at all with the governor in recent weeks, Mark? And is that out of the ordinary? The governor? No, I have not had any contact with him in recent weeks. Uh, I have contacted his staff. I've talked to his staff. I've talked to Lieutenant Governor on, on various things. Uh, the gov- it's not usual for me to be talking to the governor weekly, uh, so I- I'm not totally surprised, especially during budget season. Uh, they're usually pretty much holed up uh, in their bunker in, in Albany during budget season. Uh, and, of course, we all know what the issues we're dealing with now, but uh, it's, it's not uncommon for uh, to go without a number of uh, weeks or for that matter even months talking to the governor especially during budget season you know you mentioned making the announcement now is kind of a way to get the ball rolling and have people thinking about that before you know say a week before the first game or something like that Um, the governor yesterday said that it's maybe too early to tell we spoke with dr tom russo yesterday who said you know looking forward to september it's impossible to tell for sure what it's going to look like. And, you know, he responded that way in the question of asking him, is that going to be necessary uh, for public health in September that everybody needs to have a vaccine, whether it's the football stadium, the arena, or, you know, any other crowded public event that, you know, you mandate a vaccination. Um, Is it too early to make the announcement, even with what you said about pre-planning, Um, You know, to kind of say set in stone that in September, in November, December, early 2022, if you're going to do a mass event, you're going to need everybody to have proof of vaccination. Well, I think we'd always revisit it, Brian, depending on the circumstances. But there's there's no way to kind of put this plan in place unless you start thinking about it now and you start figuring out the logistics. Remember, for the playoff games, uh, people had to get a PCR test. If they failed the PCR test, they got their money back for their ticket, but they lost the money for the cost of the test, and then the bills could not resell that ticket. There was no secondary market for uh, tickets if you had to get a PCR test and fail. In this situation here, if required vaccinations, there could be a secondary market. You just have to sell to someone who was vaccinated. So our goal is to begin the process now. That's why I announced it, to give everyone plenty of time Uh, If you're hesitant about getting the vaccine, but you want to go to a football game in the fall, it makes sense to get vaccinated Uh, and give yourself ample time to have the vaccine in your system, depending on which dose you get, the Pfizer or the Moderna. It could be three or four weeks between the second dose and then another two weeks until you have full coverage and protection. So our goal is and always has been is to ensure that we protect the public. And we know the best way to protect the public when it comes to COVID-19 are vaccines, and and we have the data that proves it. 
we, we see the numbers associated with nursing homes, which have dropped like a rock. And we all know the problems we had with nursing homes statewide. Uh, there's hardly any new cases anymore in a nursing home. There's hardly, I, I can't remember the last time I saw a death of a nursing home in COVID-19, and, and we do get the reports. And then in the hospitals, uh, the hospital numbers have been trending up, but we keep on getting the reports from the hospital that not a single person in the hospital for, uh, that with COVID-19 was vaccinated. Occasionally, someone will come to the hospital that uh, had gone through the first of two shots and, and was sick with COVID-19 because they probably caught COVID-19 at the time they were getting vaccinated, somewhere within that window of a week or so, uh, but they're not sick enough to be hospitalized. So we know it works. We know we can protect our public. And uh, I think everybody wants to be able to get back into the football stadium in the fall and the hockey arena in the fall as well. We'd like to have full houses for both. Uh, there's only one safe way to do it now, and, and that is by preparing a plan for vaccination. You mentioned the people who are still hesitant about the vaccine. That's where I start to be worried about, especially kind of the timing of this announcement and that is the vac. It's too important to make it become one of these other political issues. Like you know, somehow mask wearing became uh, a right-left issue somewhere along the way, and we can't do that with the vaccine. And the numbers have been moving. You know, if you look at poll numbers into the direction of more people becoming accepting of the vaccine, probably based on their own experience, probably based on knowing somebody who's been vaccinated. My concern is that if you're still hesitant about the vaccine, you know, hearing this, you know, sort of carrot stick approach, it might make you more defensive and kind of, you know, digging your heels in on your side instead of being open to it. Do, do you have any of those concerns? Well, I mean, this is not political. I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican. I just want you all vaccinated. Uh, I don't care if you're an independent. Uh, for an individual, excuse me, who may be hesitant, they should be talking to their primary care physician. They can talk to our Department of Health. They can talk to a, a caregiver uh, to, to, talk, to, to describe why the vaccine is important. I really don't understand how we got to this age where uh, immediately people just said, I'm not going to put a vaccine in my body. I mean, think about all the stuff we eat every day with processed foods and, and things like that. And we, we're, we're willing and able to put that in our body, but here's something that can save our lives. So uh, for me, this is not political. This is about uh, protecting the public. And remember, if we are in a situation uh, where we still have COVID-19 in our community and across the country in the fall, and I think we still will be, just because of the, the numbers that we see with regards to vaccination rates uh, and the variants that are out there, I think the only way we're going to be able to get 100% capacity in the stadium or the arena is if we have the vaccinated uh, attendees and, and staff. And if somebody does not want to get vaccinated, that's their choice. I can't force them to get vaccinated. I'm not telling them they have to get vaccinated. I'm just saying if you're going to walk in this location, you, you, you need to be vac vaccinated. It's no different than if something, well, I guess it's different, but it's if somebody wants to smoke in the stadium. If we catch somebody smoking in the stadium, we immediately throw them out. There's no, hey, I just want to take a puff. No, they get thrown out. They don't have the right to smoke in the stadium and inflict uh, the smoke that they exhale to the person next to them, which we know has carcinogens. So it's similar. It's not exact, but it's a similar situation where, 
we have the power to do that. We have the power to prevent somebody who's visibly drunk from walking in the stadium. If they're so drunk, we can say, no, you can't enter. Uh, so there, there are certain rules we have. We're not implementing this for private locations. We're not saying you have to be vaccinated to go to a grocery store or a movie theater. Uh, those businesses can make that determination on their own if that's what they choose. Uh, but what we're trying to do is have an environment that is safe for all and allow our favorite teams uh, to, to hear the roar of the crowd. Why press so f- hard for a full stadium but not be as willing as other counties in the state to press for a full house and school? Well, it's a little different because, first off, we don't own the schools. <laughs> I think it's important that people realize that uh, the difference is uh, the schools have always been independently controlled by the school districts, and they receive their mandates from the New York State Department of Education and the New York State Department of Health. Uh, we don't and have never had that position or role. Uh, I truthfully believe that every student should be vaccinated, and that's one way to get everyone back into school is to have every student vaccinated and every teacher vaccinated. If we were to vaccinate every student and teacher and staff member, uh, and I think we will have su- sufficient supply to do that as long as the, they approve vaccine for, for children, uh, I think we could do that by September. Uh, and, and I believe that is also a, a key metric in how we're going to reopen schools fully is to have the fully vaccinated uh, staff, students, and teachers. Remember, you can't put your student in a school if they haven't gotten their mumps uh, measles, rubella uh, vaccine, there's other vaccines that students have. Uh, the schools have the right to say, no, that student can't enter our class until they've been vaccinated. Uh, I believe that's a direction we're going to see with regards to COVID-19. And I would hope that uh, everyone understands we all want students back in school full time. And there is going to be a way to do that as well. And that's by vaccinating everybody in the school. I can't order it. I can't uh, I can't do what we do with this football stadium because the football stadium is owned by Erie County. So the Erie County Health Department can't do it under the law. We believe we can do it under the law with regards to the football stadium and the hockey arena because both of those facilities are owned by Erie County. Is there, on that topic, is there some sort of pressure that, you know, whether it's the county or other elected officials who aren't directly involved in the school, uh, and we've asked city officials about this, whether it's the mayor or members uh, of the common council, if it's appropriate to put more pressure and, you know, specifically looking at the city of Buffalo, you have middle schoolers there. They haven't been in the classroom in 13 months. It's not going to, they're not going to return for another month or have the option to. And when they do, it's going to be two days a week. And, and, you know, that it's going to have a big impact and there's no clear plan of how you make up that learning. Are you interested in any way of, uh, pressuring them into maybe opening more or uh, questioning some of the thought press process going behind why the reopening for in-class learning is being so slow? Well, our Department of Health, of course, has discussed these matters with the school. We actually have a school team and our epidemiology staff to keep track of COVID cases in schools. Uh, we're aware of a number of uh, cases in schools right now, especially as students come back from spring break. Uh, we do not believe there was direct in-school transmission as a result of that, but we work with the schools to make a recommendation as to whether or not the school should close or go to virtual learning for 10 days, should pause, or if maybe they should pause a classroom or two. Uh, we, we certainly uh, want our students, the staff and teachers, the faculty to be in a safe environment. 
uh, we understand that uh, virtual learning does not work for every child. It's interesting. I've talked to some parents who have said, my kid has actually thrived in virtual learning, and others that are like, it's the worst thing they've ever dealt with. And then other parents are like, they don't really seem to see any change. So it just depends, I guess, on how the student handles virtual learning. Our goal is not to do virtual learning. Our goal is to ensure, as a community, we uh, get students back in schools. But the, truthfully, the only way we're going to be able to do that, Brian, is by vaccinating all the students and vaccinating uh, the staff. Right now, the staff, the teachers, the other workers, the bus drivers, all have the ability of being vaccinated because we can vaccinate anyone 16 and above. Uh, my understanding is that uh, the FDA is reviewing right now the Pfizer application for 12 to 15-year-olds. And what I've been reading and hearing, uh, reading uh, medical journals, too, that's shared to us by Dr. Burstein, is uh, it, it appears that uh, the, uh, the FDA will all likelihood approve it for 12 to 15-year-olds. So let's assume that they approve it at the end of this month after they do further review. So they approve it, let's say, on May 1st. Then, theoretically, we could start vaccinating students that are 12 to 15-year-old as well as the 16 and 17-year-olds uh, this summer and get them back into school for the, for the fall semester. I believe, considering where we are, 50% of all eligible people in Erie County have received one dose. About 34%, or roughly a third of all eligible people, 16 and above, have received a full vaccine regimen. So I believe that we're going to get through all these folks and the, and the adults in the next couple of months who want it, and we'll be able to focus then on vaccinating children. And if that's the case, I feel pretty confident that by September, when the school year comes around for the uh, next school year in 2021-22, we are going to be able to vaccinate students and get them back into school, especially the middle schoolers and the high schoolers. And then there's no excuse. There should be no excuse at that point uh, that uh, we have to be virtual, because if everyone's been vaccinated, there's no reason to have an excuse to stay virtual. Mark, you know, I think it drives people nuts that we're still living under all of these restrictions. You know, you can't go to a bar or restaurant after 11. I guess next week it'll be midnight. But you have to go through all these hoops possibly to attend a concert or a game. But the grocery store, as you alluded to just a couple of minutes ago, I mean, that's got to be the, the biggest exposure. And there are no restrictions outside of wearing a mask. I guess what I'm pointing to is, is there any personal responsibility anymore? Or do all of our decisions have to come from public officials? Well, there certainly is personal responsibility. But when we're still in the middle of a, a global pandemic, and uh, while it's better with regards to the uh amount of people that we vaccinated, there are still hundreds of individuals that are getting sick for the first time uh, every day. I would not say that grocery stores are a, a, a prime transmitter because we haven't seen that from our contact tracing. Usually we see it in tight quarters where individuals are around each other for more than 10 minutes. Uh, could someone who's standing in the line at the checkout cough on you and theoretically give you COVID? Yes, they could, but we're not seeing that to the same degree that we're seeing it in tight settings. I mean, the biggest problem we've had the last couple of months has really uh, been around small social gatherings at homes where people come together and, uh, and they start partying. Uh, we've seen issues with bars and restaurants. I know that there was a big outbreak in the town of North Collins about a month ago. I talked to the town of North Carolina supervisor, and he said, yep, every single individual that caught that was in this one bar uh, where they weren't wearing masks, 
and they were having fun, and they ended up having like 14 cases out of 20 people that came from a bar. So we know where the transmission occurs, and our goal is to ensure that those are safe environments. The mask wearing, I mean, it's, it's, it's not exactly where everyone would want to be, and that's why if we vaccinate, if we have a fully vaccinated population, we shouldn't need to wear masks. And if somebody elects to, at that point, not be vaccinated and the vast majority of the population is vaccinated, uh, they're only putting themselves at risk because COVID-19 is still going to be out there. It's mutating. Uh, We have every uh, variant that we're aware of, major one, except for one in our region. And uh, the best way to protect yourself is to wear a mask when you cannot otherwise safely socially distance. If you're in a group of individuals who have all been vaccinated, Uh, including even indoors, if you've all been vaccinated, regardless of where you live, you don't need to wear a mask, which is also part of the thought that I have, is that if everyone's vaccinated in the football stadium, then you probably wouldn't need to even wear a mask. Uh, And and that's a good thing. I think we would all enjoy that. Um, You know, kind of uh, bringing it back around to that idea and uh, some of the rules for getting into stadiums. How much do you think, uh, whether it's something that the county does uh, on the two uh, facilities here, something that's done on a statewide uh, basis, how do you think that other states and their rules are going to eventually influence what we see here in Western New York? Because we're already seeing it, you know, uh, announcements of full capacity at stadiums for different events, whether it's a concert, um, something else, uh, this upcoming, hey, uh, at the arena, this upcoming uh, September, I believe, there is an announcement for a concert at full capacity. And these tours go around. Uh, Do you see a a scenario coming up soon where, you know, we're going to have to make a decision? Are we going to all kind of get in line and get on the same page? Or maybe our area is going to be left out of a lot of these events? Well, I am aware of the Eric Church concert at Key Bank Center. I'd spoken to uh, Bill Sabre's representatives, uh, and that's one of the reasons why they support the plan, that we could do that for concerts at the stadium where people are vaccinated. Uh, Every state has the right to set their public health standards. It's not anything different. Uh, I will note that uh, we know a lot of people went down the spring break last week to Florida, and uh, we're starting to see the first cases associated with that. Uh, I, I wouldn't say there's an outbreak at Canisius High School, but we are we are aware of a bunch of cases from uh, seniors and juniors at Canisius High School who went down on a trip together to Florida, and now they're back and they're sick. Uh, so we ha- we live in an environment where travel is uh, is expected, but as we know, we can't go across the border to Canada because the Canadians are continuing to shut it down. Uh, you can travel to other states, but when you do that, you put yourself at risk. The best way to prevent uh, potentially catching the illness and getting sick is, if you're traveling, is to get vaccinated. Uh, If you did travel and you haven't been vaccinated, you should get a PCR test uh, within uh, two or three days of return because we want to find out if you're actually carrying the virus. So uh, all I would note is every state in our union has the ability to set certain standards that are different from other states. and until the federal government enacts something, which I don't believe the federal government is going to do, then each state can set its own standards. Uh, we're not the only state that has standards like this. Uh, I know many other states have standards like we do. And to tell you the truth, most of the, the restrictions that were put in place have been dramatically reduced. There's hardly any restrictions anymore. There's still a few, but there's not that many. And uh, they're there to protect the public. 
That is County Executive Mark Polunkars, who joined Susan Rose and Brian Mazarowski earlier this week. Coming up next, State Senator George Borello. We will ask him what he thinks about full capacity crowds requiring a vaccination, amongst other things going on in Albany. It is Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Welcome. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Back clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Odyssey celebrates Father's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through... You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame... You deserve this ice-cold reward. Modelo, the Markable Fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome back. It is Hardline here on News Radio 930. WBEN, Joe Beamer with you. Brenda Alacy still recovering from her surgery. We hope to have her back here very, very soon. All right, so you heard in the first segment, we replayed the interview with County Executive Mark Polonkars, and now we will be getting reactions to that and other COVID things going on. We welcome State Senator George Borello. Uh, Senator, good morning. Good morning, Joe. Good to be on with you. Thank you. Thank you. It's uh, good to have you. Now, we heard the County Executive here in Erie County say that starting this next season, so fall, September 2021, uh, that to get into a Bills game, you will have to have your COVID-19 vaccination. On the same day, we heard the governor of the state say that probably won't happen. Uh, Where do you stand and where does Albany stand? Well, first of all, let me let me say this, Um, you know, County Executive Poland Cars, you know, he has a, a tremendous job. Uh, and uh, he has, you know, as a former county executive, I know how difficult it is. Uh, you know, in here in Chautauqua County, you know, we didn't own any stadiums or arenas, uh, and that has a special liability uh, and concern. So I, I respect uh, his job and the job he has to do. But ultimately, uh, I think what we have to look at is what do we what do we really expect of people? Do we expect them to act responsibly? And also, let's look at the actual data. Uh, you know, I continue to point to the fact that despite that New York State has the most restrictive uh, uh, lockdown restrictions in America, that our data is among the worst when it comes to COVID hospitalizations. Uh, right now, if you look at New York State, uh, we have uh, about 19 and a half million people. Uh, we've got um, roughly, uh, last, I, last the data I saw was tracked, about 5,000 people uh, in, uh, in the hospital with COVID, and Florida, with no such restrictions, has less than 4,000 people. So if the, you know, the, the high watermark for the governor is how many people are in the hospital, uh, and that's the reason behind all these ridiculous restrictions, uh, then we're failing at that because uh, it is, we, we are in far worse shape uh, compared to states like Florida with no such restrictions. And that also discounts all the other 
uh, health impacts that we're seeing from these lockdowns, the, the, the spike in mental health issues and drug abuse issues, uh, domestic violence, everything else that we've seen a spike in since these lockdowns have began uh, and we're focused solely uh, on, on COVID. And we have to start looking at this in a more holistic manner. And I think getting people back out and being able to, you know, to be at events together safely uh, needs to be uh, a public policy decision uh, that has to be a lot more holistic than it is currently. And what do you think? Now, I, I know I'm asking you to think as the governor, but what do you think is the the benchmark that's going to have Governor Cuomo say, OK, it, it's time to be like Florida. It's time to be like Texas. Open up and, and say, you know, you know, the risks. It is your you know, it, it's in your hands to be you have that American freedom to assume the risk. We know what COVID-19 is. We know how to prevent it. But but eventually you've got to say, you know, your freedoms are your freedoms. Do you think that will be a benchmark with hospitalizations or do you think uh, it's going to be, you know, in September when tours are going around the country and events are going to other states? And then, you know, Governor Cuomo said eh, maybe 40 percent and the tour said, no, thank you. We'll go somewhere else. Well, it, it, unfortunately, I, I'm not going to try and get inside the head of our governor. I can just tell you that right now, New York State has the highest unemployment rate in the nation, second only to Hawaii, that New York State is, is losing people in droves on a daily basis. We already led the nation before COVID in out-migration. Uh, we, we have an unemployment rate that is the second highest in the nation, and yet every business owner I speak with, including myself, can't find help. So he's making bad decision after bad decision. And what you see on a daily basis in Albany is dysfunction. You see a, an assembly and a Senate that passed a record-breaking spending bill with a record-breaking tax increase and a governor that has lost control of the process. So I can't tell you what he's going to look down the road and see or do. But I will tell you that the whole idea that his uh, executive authority was, uh, you know, was relinquished uh, a little over a month ago was a sham and a lie clearly evidenced by the fact that he's still making these decisions and he plans on making them well into the fall. So uh, we have a tremendously dysfunctional and ineffective government in Albany. Uh, it's being led by folks that are putting their own personal interests before the interests of pe the people of New York State. Uh, and it is a New York City-centric uh, way of, uh, of, of handling these restrictions. Uh, and that is not good to, uh, for, for anyone here in New York State. I don't care if you're a Republican or Democrat, a liberal or conservative. Our state is failing on every measure at this point, and we lag behind nearly every other state when it comes to our economic recovery. And the fact that we have a governor uh, that is so steeped in, in controversy and scandal uh, that is, is still trying to uh, you know, keep a stranglehold on our economy shows you exactly how ineffective things are right now in Albany. Senator, you, you touched on my next question. Uh, two weeks ago tomorrow was when the food with drink mandate, I don't know what the official title is, I call it the food with drink mandate, uh, was set to expire. Now, I, as someone who works at a news radio station six days a week, I thought that the governor himself could not extend that mandate. Well, we found out later that day that he could and did. So what exactly happened a month or so ago when we were told that these executive powers were being taken from the governor? We were told one thing. What actually happened? What actually happened was that uh, they cut a deal, uh, the leadership, the Democrat leadership of the Senate and the Assembly, cut a deal with our governor to actually extend indefinitely his authority. That was proven out by the fact that he extended this ridiculous food with drink order and others uh, for another month. Now, we had the, the Democrat leadership, including Senator Mike Gianaris, who's the, the assistant majority leader of the Senate, 
say horrible things about this governor when they were debating this so-called repeal of the governor's authority. He even called out that particular uh, executive order as being unscientific and needs to go away. Here we are five weeks later, and it's still in place, and the governor just extended it. So anyone that believes that the governor's authority was actually taken away five weeks ago is obviously have their, their head buried in the sand because here we are five weeks later with the exact order that on day one that his supposed uh, powers were revoked, they called out as being unscientific and ridiculous and would go away, and it's just been extended. So that tells you, again, the dysfunction that we, that we are experiencing right now in our state government. And speaking of the governor, I, I promise I do have non-governor related questions, uh, but speaking of the governor, now I know this investigation is going on in the assembly, but is there any update you can give us into that impeachment investigation into Governor Cuomo? Well, right now, you know, the way the process works is it begins in the assembly, and if there, if there is a, uh, a trial, it would take place in the Senate. Uh, so it's very similar to how it works in the federal government. But right now, what's going on in the assembly is essentially nothing. They are slow walking this, I think, in the hopes that they will kind of cut some kind of a deal with the governor. Um, they hired an attorney in the assembly to investigate the governor. That particular – not an attorney, excuse me, a law firm, excuse me. That law firm has direct ties to the Cuomo administration. If it were any other situation, that law firm from New York City would have been conflicted out because of their ties to the administration yet they will be conducting this, invest, this so-called investigation uh, on the governor. So this is being just slow walked to the assembly at this moment. I don't know what they're hoping will happen, uh, but essentially there's been little to no news, and I just think that they're all hoping that this is just going to go away. I mean, you saw the governor in Buffalo the other day uh, as if nothing was wrong, people heaping praise upon him. Uh, you know, so I, I think that uh, uh, they, they are waiting for, the, for this to just go away, and unfortunately the people of New York State uh, need to ensure that that doesn't happen because – the evidence is clear. You know, we, we are certainly seeing a, a, not only a massive increase in taxes and other burdens, uh, but, a, but a, again, a continued uh, mass exodus of New York State. And the people of New York State have to speak up and say, we cannot allow this to happen any longer. Now, vaccines have been uh, rolling out, as we see. Here in Erie County, we even had a walk-in uh, clinic on Thursday. How are rollouts throughout the state, and especially in your district, uh, as we ramp up vaccines? Well, you know, uh, they are getting better. Uh, however, we, are, we still, uh, I think, lag behind uh, the nation. I heard today that 50% of Americans uh, have at least one vaccine. Uh, here in New York State, I think it's only about 33%. So we, again, lag behind the rest of the nation when it comes to, to our vaccines. And we actually now have open appointments in some places uh, uh, that, that have not been filled yet. So, uh, you know, you, you went from a governor that was trashing the whole idea of a vaccine uh, up until the very end of last year, and now just did a reverse course saying, okay, well, now that uh, we have a new president, the vaccine must be safe. And I think that's created a lot of vaccine hesitancy and hostility amongst, pe- amongst people, unfortunately. Uh, I think that the vaccine is safe. I think people that you know, people should get it, especially our most vulnerable citizens. Uh, but, you know, th- this has been so politically driven for so long uh, that it's, uh, you know, not surprising that we're seeing uh, the dysfunction again uh, when it comes to this vaccine distribution. You know, Senator, I I do find it interesting that not only the governor, but the president and vice president also questioned the vaccine until, in fact, they were in power. And now, you know, the vaccine is should be trusted by all. It's it's really unfortunate how political a virus has been over the last year. And I'm glad you you, uh, you pointed that out. Now, my next guest is Congressman Lee Zeldin. He has announced that he will run for governor next year. What can you tell us about Congressman Zeldin? 
Well, let me tell you, uh, Congressman Zeldin is a great public servant. He was in the, the, the New York State Senate prior to being in Congress. Um, he was the man that actually was the driving force behind creating, creating the Dyer, Dwyer Project, which has been a great thing, uh, you know, a, a peer-led uh, um, mental health service uh, for our veterans. Uh, that was something that he created in the New York State Senate. We had him in Albany recently, uh, you know, because the funding was actually uh, pulled out of the, of the governor's budget. And uh, we were fighting hard to get that back in, which luckily did happen uh, as well. Uh, Congressman Zeldin has been very vocal about a number of issues. Uh, and certainly, uh, you know, we are we're still far away from an actual, uh, uh, you know, uh, nominee at this point, it seems like. But uh, he certainly is a very capable person uh, with a lot of great experience at both the state and federal level, as well as being a military veteran himself. And this was announced after um, after I asked Friday for you to come on the show. So I apologize for not uh, bringing this up. But the governor, as you mentioned, was in Buffalo on Friday to announce $15 a month Internet access uh, for those who qualify. Do you have any take on that? Well, yeah, that's all show and, and no substance is what it is. Um, you know, this whole idea that, uh, first of all, he has uh, continued to repeat the lie that there is 98 percent broadband coverage in New York State. He even said it uh, in his most recent press conference, and he said it again when he was in Buffalo. Uh, we are nowhere close to 98% broadband coverage. Pretty much everyone has admitted that, including uh, Microsoft, who says we're roughly 60% broadband in New York State. So now he's saying that since we now have 98% broadband coverage, and by the way, if, unless the entire 2% is in my Senate district, that's clearly not true. Uh, but now we're going to force providers uh, to do a $15 a month uh, uh, service. First and foremost, I will tell you that uh, the providers that I've spoken to, most of them have uh, a low dollar amount for people that are that that have uh, that are low income. Uh, virtually everyone already has it, uh, so this is probably a non a non issue to begin with. But what it really does is it ignores the fact that um, uh, we have a tax on fiber optic cable that is killing projects across New York State and being and scaling them back. I've introduced legislation to repeal this. Uh, this tax on fiber. We also have uh, the Department of Transportation. Uh, this, this, uh, these fees also extend to having to resurvey areas uh, at the, it's to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars before they can lay fiber optic cable. So New York State is, is, the, uh, is really the biggest obstacle when it comes to the expansion of broadband across especially rural New York areas like, like mine. And uh, this tax on fiber has actually, as I said, killed projects. So this is all sh just all for show. If the governor really wanted to do something about this and the leadership uh, in Albany really wanted to do something about this, we remove this, this senseless tax uh, on these um, Department of Transportation rights away. We remove this uh, requirement to have to resurvey areas that are already surveyed, and we would start actually expanding broadband, uh, I think, exponentially. Uh, myself and some of my colleagues, including uh, Assemblyman Goodell and Assemblyman Joe Giglio, have been working on this, and we've actually been had some success. But the greatest obstacle to high-speed Internet uh, in New York State is not the price. It's, it's, it's oppressive New York State taxes and fees and regulations. And with forcing these uh, providers, now, again, as you mentioned, there are a lot of providers that already offer a lower uh, rate for those who apply. But the state won't be giving these companies any money to do so, right? They're just telling them they have to. Oh, exactly. This is what the state does. We, we, we force people to do things, not provide any funding. We force people uh, to, uh, to, you know, to do a lot of things, including... Uh, now trying to provide service at a loss. But I don't care if it's $15 a month or $150 a month or $200 a month. If you don't have access, it doesn't matter. And that's where we are, particularly in rural New York State. I hear, we hear from people even prior to the pandemic about 
how poor their services are or it's unavailable. Then we forced people to work from home and, and forced our children to learn from home and realized what a crisis it was. And what was the response? To heap more regulation and more taxes and more burdens on the companies that are trying to provide these services. Uh, and, and we're seeing more and more of that. It's just this, this, this horribly political and myopic view uh, based on what they see in New York City and not what the rest of the state is actually experiencing. Senator, I have one last question for you. I um, came across this during the week, and you know, you mentioned the unemployment rate in New York by New York citizens, by uh, you know, just how the last year we know what the last year has done to to a lot of people. Uh, but now the state of New York has, I believe, passed or proposed to give stimulus-like checks to quote undocumented workers. Um, is that something that's going to happen? Has that passed through Albany yet, or is it something being discussed? You know, it, it has passed, and um, I, I will say this: my issue with that is that I, I think there's certainly a justification for those that paid into the system uh, to receive some kind of a benefit, but that this goes uh, far beyond that. But more importantly. You know, we have speak to any business owner right now. They are all opening up their unemployment insurance bills and seeing massive increases in their in their unemployment insurance costs. The the, the rate went up uh, just exponentially. Uh, our businesses went up on average 150 percent. I've talked to people that have seen 200 percent, 300 percent increases in their in their cost of unemployment insurance. That's because we have a nearly nine billion dollar deficit. Uh, in our unemployment insurance fund in New York State. And uh, that's a huge problem. It's also because New York State opened up unemployment to, to virtually anyone for any reason. And that's why we, again, lead the nation in having a deficit. Instead of taking our federal funds and using it to shore up that unemployment insurance fund, which is what other states have done, uh, we decided to create a separate fund uh, to give other people uh, who were not qualified unemployment insurance. And that's just creating a divisive situation. It's creating a uh, anger and frustration. We should have taken money and put it into the unemployment insurance fund so it could benefit everyone. So we wouldn't see these huge increases in unemployment insurance that will likely cause some businesses to just go out of business. And that's the the divisive, toxic politics that we see out of Albany right now. And it's just shameful. State Senator George Borello, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Hopefully we'll catch up again soon. Thank you. And that is State Senator George Borello. And coming up next, Congressman Lee Zeldin. Uh, he is has announced that he is going to run, I assume, against Governor Andrew Cuomo. We will ask him if he thinks he'll be running against Governor Andrew Cuomo. And a lot more. We'll have him introduce himself to Western New York as he is a congressman from downstate. We will uh, have that. And then at 1130, just added to the guest lineup, attorney Steve Cohen will join us for about five to 10 minutes to give us an update on the bars and restaurants who had originally won their lawsuit uh, earlier this weekend a judge said that their lawsuit is moot since the original food with drink mandate had expired. Again, I don't know the official name of that. Maybe uh, Steve will have the official name of the mandate, but he will tell us what the next move is for them. I have two other COVID-related legal questions, uh, but we will have him for about 10 minutes after the 11.30 news here on Hardline. If you have any questions for Congressman Zeldin or 
for attorney Steve Cohen. You can text those in 803-0930. That is the number to get on the Volkswagen of Orchard Park text board. And I do appreciate the text we had during the interview with State Senator George Borello. So it is Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. We will get an update from Alan Harris at the top of the hour. And then, as I said, Congressman Lee Zeldin, he is running for governor as a Republican here in New York State. And we will have him introduce himself to you next on WBEN.